Hey everyone, I'm Beth Vecchioni and welcome to Frontline Stories of Change. So I'm a social worker, a founder and a director of social enterprise Care to Dance and now I'm so excited to be the podcast host for this series. You'll hear from some amazing individuals and organisations who share the same mission around bringing about social change and who really want to make a big difference to children and families. They will share their stories and they give some great advice. So I hope you can join in the conversation and we can learn together along the way. So today I spoke to Katie and it was really interesting talking to Katie. She spoke to me about how Reclaim as a charity support young people um, who are come from a working class background to overcome any barriers that they may face, um, to really empower them to have a voice and to try and facilitate change and lead change themselves as young people. Um, So it was really interesting talking to Katie because we had a lot of great advice as well for social workers. We talk a lot about how um, the Frontline Fellowship support uh, other social workers to try and lead change themselves. And Katie really advocates for collective change. Um, So have a listen and you will be inspired about her story and how she has led such big change herself as an individual, but also as part of a collective from Reclaim. Hey Katie, how are you doing today? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Have you had a good week? Um, yeah, a really, really busy week. We've been launching um, a new programme, so it's been chaos, but really good, really positive chaos. Okay, so what one of our Instagram followers suggested is, if you were gifted the day off work tomorrow, what would you do? I would go and see the sea. I think that as an activist working in that arena, Sometimes it's so consuming and so you can you can feel that burnout creeping in. And I think there's something really magical about sitting in front of the sea and realising this isn't all on me. Like the world is so big and look at how vast that sea or ocean is. Um, and I'm just a little bit of a little part of it um, and just take that pressure off a bit. I love it. Absolutely. There is something about the sea that's just so calming and it's just so, and then it's sort of like you reflect on your busy day that sometimes you kind of can't put yourself on like the outside and looking in and say, ah, that sounds lovely. So just to start, if it was okay for you to tell us a bit more about yourself and how you came to join Reclaim. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am... 32 and I started working with Reclaim in 2007 actually so um, I was an intern on the first project so the founder Ruth um, she was a high school teacher and she was my high school teacher and she was absolutely fantastic I think she was the first teacher that I really thought oh she actually treats me like we're on the same level she talks to us not like a student-pupil relationship. There was just a really great sense of her understanding her students. And she pushed for excellence. You know, it was a working-class area. Um, I come from a working-class family. And she really pushed us because she really believed, and this is a thread that works right through now to the organisation still, um, she really believed in in expecting excellence from working class young people Mm -hmm. because a lot of people have just written them off and 
regards to their home life or whatever might be going on, they think, oh, well, they're getting through or they're getting by. And she just didn't believe that was enough. And she said, no, there's excellence in these young people and there's greatness. And if you don't expect it from them, they won't rise to it. And so her lessons, everyone absolutely smashed. (laughs) And she was amazing. (laughs) Um, And then she started Reclaim and she started from Urbis, which is now the football museum in town. It was in the learning department. And um, she basically started by gathering 30 12 to 13 year old boys from Mosside, which were majority black um, and worked with them on leadership, on um, self-esteem, on critical thinking, on politics, activism. And it was absolutely fantastic, the project. It really did change things. It wasn't long after Jesse James was killed in Rec Park, a young boy from Mosside. And the rhetoric in all of the papers was that if you were a black boy from Mosside, you were in a gang, you were trouble, you were written off. And she was just fed up of this constant, constant um, negativity that these young people were carrying around with them and they had nothing to do with the creation of it. So she worked on this project it was incredible and while she started that I was actually I'd finished college and I was just at a loss I was just I said to her I don't know what I'm doing with my life I don't don't know where I'm going what direction I'm going in and she said come and come and work for me come and work on this project as an intern and I did and I loved it and then I think I decided from then I wanted to work with young people I went off to uni did my degree, got pregnant in my third year, <laughs> um, had my baby, and then started as a youth worker at Reclaim full-time. Well, part-time at first, but that was my, my sole income. And it was just incredible. I just mm. felt like this is where I need to be. It's the it's what I, the work I needed that Ruth gave me in my high school years that made me know that I could achieve and I thought, I need to be a part of that. I need to be a part of giving that to more young people and inspiring more young people. That sounds like an amazing journey, like going from when you were in school all the way to now and yeah. really following your dream and passion through that is, is incredible. And if you could um, maybe tell us a little bit more about Reclaim um, and so like what Reclaim is in a nutshell and how it is driving change for children and young people, that would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Reclaim, is our mission is to create a society where young people from working class backgrounds are the, they're proud of, they're not held back by their roots. They don't feel like being working class is a negative, that they really feel pride in that. Um, and we also would love working class to be a protected characteristic so that it, it kind of it ensures that people aren't being... Um, there isn't prejudice against the classes. So we we have a few different ways of working with young people. Um, the LEAD programme, which is our main programme, we would go into a community, fund independent, we'd recruit a, young, a group of young people, and then we would work with them and challenge them. They have to be working class, even if they don't know what working class is right then. So I think that's one of the biggest kind of bonuses of what we do is that when we start the work, you ask a young person, are you interested in politics? They're going to say, no, it's not for me. 
why would they think it's for them especially in a working class community when and the diverse working class communities that we work in everyone on those green benches in parliament they don't look or sound like them so for them it's it's just not for them there's no representation for them so we start talking about well what about the way you're taught in school and we start talking about the parts in their lives that then they have so much to say on and it's like that is politics and we just reframe it for them and then we work with them and um push and challenge and do loads of really cool stuff with them and teach them about politics and teach them about how how to overcome imposter syndrome how to make working class a positive and look at all the great things that being a working class kid or the things that you can take into roles that someone that hasn't had your life experience maybe wouldn't and would have to work a lot harder to to achieve or or kind of understand um a lot of our young people are lgbt disabled migrants black white brown it's such a diverse bunch it's not white men in mining caps which i think we need to let go of when we think of working class it's still that feeling it's very different now Mm. and it's beautiful the the way they um work together and they really become a cohort and a group that's the most powerful bit of it because the solidarity in that Mm -hmm. and in that space so we yeah we run programs to develop young working class leaders and we support their campaigns so if there's something that comes out of that session where they're really really passionate about and they want to push for so the r pass was something that um olivia one of our young people she she was all our young people were so fed up of having to pay extortionate prices to get around manchester on buses and some of them were getting two buses a day from different companies so they couldn't just buy an all-round pass it was affecting them attending after school things. With Reclaim, we'll remove all those barriers. A young person doesn't have to worry about that. We will pay for their transport. We will pay for their food, all that stuff when they're with us. So that they don't, that isn't a consideration. That isn't, that they just know from the get go. You don't have to think about that. And she campaigned um, and worked with Andy Burnham, the mayor. And there's, there was a group of young people that were kind of the voice of this movement. And now they have the R-Pass, which is free travel for 16 to 19 year olds, which is over Manchester. And Andy always credits Olivia for that. She was really vocal about it. And it's a massive improvement. So things like that, we will help them campaign for those changes and, and teach them about community organising. And then we also support organisations who want to utilise um, the talented working class leaders within their organisation. So we, we work with them on how to ensure that they're really supporting the working class people in their, um, in their organisations and that they're recruiting to ensure that they're not, they're not excluding working class talent from applying. Mm. that sounds great you do so many different things like <laughs> with children young people it's really tiring <laughs> <laughs> I really like sort of what you talked about though around sort of imposter syndrome and how to overcome that because something that we've spoken about um in frontline as well during our training is you know naming class and being able to have those conversations with young people and families around what their experience of this is and and actually how to overcome that and not see that as a barrier um and being able to have those open conversations 
it, it can be really quite meaningful and productive with um, children, young people and families and parents and carers. So absolutely. Definitely. So Reclaim exists to create a society in which being from a working class background no longer presents barriers to achievement, success or influence. Could you tell us a bit more about what you mean by working class and what are some of the barriers that young working class people face? Absolutely. So when we talk about class, like I said before, it's really it's so different from years ago that I think people really struggle I mean there's arguments and people out there saying class doesn't exist anymore it definitely does Mm -hmm. Um, and a really simple way of thinking about class is if you separate into three factors so there's economic capital which is your access to income and wealth to support your ambitions so if you're from a wealthy family um, there's less barriers for you. you you've always got that underbelly of support there's always something that will catch you the the worries of paying your rent and things like that as well as working and as well you're not worrying as much that's gone that's been removed social capital that's about who you know and the networks that can support you so this one's a really important one and if you think back to where you did your uh, work experience as a young person and if you did it in fact you start to look at where you did it I did it at the local primary school because for me thinking about the professionals I knew in my life they were teachers, policemen, firemen, social workers. They were the people that you knew were around. They were the jobs that you knew were out there. So I went to my primary school and did it. But if you've got doctors and lawyers in your family and people were, you know, media people, your work experience could be somewhere else, which already taps into that imposter syndrome. Because if at a young age you're going, well, my mum, my dad, my auntie, my uncle, this person is doing those jobs. I obviously can. I'm doing it here now. Yeah, I can see myself in this role. That's fine. So the social capital about who you know, that's a really big one. You, you, you weigh in, you door in, it's always there for you. And then your cultural capital, which is probably the hardest one to explain, but it's your ability to fit in with prevailing culture. And that's, that is imposter syndrome in a lot of ways. When you go into somewhere and you are in a staff room and they're all talking about going skiing and they're all talking about these holidays and these places they've been. And if you have no in in that conversation, you're instantly isolated. You instantly feel like you don't belong there. And it can affect all levels of your work. It's the cultural capital is your access to those people, those voices, how you fit in. And the prevailing culture right now isn't working class. It isn't that that culture in those roles you do feel isolated from. Mm -hmm. And some of the reasons why we know this work needs to be done and some of the statistics around it is a working class person with the same qualifications and professional job will on average earn six thousand four hundred pounds less per year than a colleague from a more privileged background so that's straight away you can see an inequality there mm-hmm. we've only ever had two sec- secretaries of state for education from a comprehensive school and they were both appointed since 2016 yet 88 percent of pupils go to comprehensive mm-hmm. schools so that that doesn't make sense that doesn't weigh up and people from wealthy, wealthy backgrounds who struggle at school are 35% more likely to become higher earners than high achieving people. So even if you're the highest marks in the classroom, but your background is poorer, you're 35% less likely to be a higher earner than the ones that struggle from wealthy backgrounds. 
Then we've also got people who have benefited from a private education. That's 7% of the population. They dominate the country's top tables. 74% of senior positions in the judiciary, 64% in politics, and 61% in medicine. So there's loads of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have these statistics and just remind yourself and feel riled by it. (laughs) Because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Definitely. I mean, those statistics really quite speak quite loudly, don't they? And, yeah. And I think when, as well, when you talked about the cultural um, sort of capital, cultural yeah. capital, yeah, I think that's really interesting because, I mean, when you think about sociological theories as well and the subcultures in society and how um, certain um, sort of groups, I guess, tend to form and how that can cause barriers for um to other groups like young people of working class backgrounds and or young people with disabilities and things and and how mm-hmm. these groups all interact with each other it's it's, it's quite fascinating really thinking about it because it is what's happening in, the, in every day and the impact that can have on young people is huge and and like you said the the imposter syndrome that they could feel I mean I sorry I keep talking about this one young person but this one young person <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling him he we keep talking about the fact that he could just be the, like he can go on to be a politician I could just see him leading change like it's it's amazing and I think people who have gone through experiences as well so children young people who talk about experiences they have been through tend to have so much motivation to change the system in a positive way yeah a hundred percent I've got a young person um who I worked with him when he was 12 he's now gone to Oxford University um he he's his a levels were like four a stars he's had a really really tough time um he was brought up by his nana and granddad who have been amazing to him um but he's just had such a a hard life but he is the most positive person and so humble and wonderful and I just think if you will change the world, I have no doubt whatever he touches will be great because he will change the world. He he can't not. He's, it's in him because he knows he's felt it. He's got that. He's not just got sympathy. He's got empathy. He feels yeah. it inside him. And that's the real, that lived experience really, really changes um, the system. Absolutely. The thing that I personally would absolutely adore is if one of the young people that have been through the program is CEO of this organisation eventually. And one of these young people, or they go on to create their own, or like Jaden, if he ends up in politics, that they're my watching those young people grow is the biggest privilege that anyone can can experience. Mm. And being there at the most insecure moments and at the celebrations is just beautiful. And seeing that that journey of change is incredible and I think once we start seeing people that have had real lived experience not just granddad was a docker mm-hmm. like real real I've been through this experience in those positions in parliament in the judiciary in those high places around the decision making tables that is the goal mm-hmm. and that will change society because there's a, like I said before, lived experience is the best experience you can offer. Mm-hmm. It is a truly wonderful gift of insight. And at the time it doesn't feel like a gift, but it really is. I was a single mum for years and that lived experience for me with some of the young people that I worked with really helped 
and it helped me be able to engage them and understand and get where they've come from. I still live in social houses. I still a social housing. I live on an estate. I get it. I understand it. I live, breathe it. And that is, it just makes my job. I know I'm really making a difference mm. um, that way. So I think having more people in those positions from working class backgrounds is the key. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? And I guess that is your uh, ultimate aim. So that, yeah. yeah that's, and it sounds like you're already on your way to getting there, <laughs> isn't it? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we know that children who have a social worker as well are, are far less likely to go on to further education and reach their potential. Have you come across this in any of the young people you work with? And how do you think we can better tackle this? And I'm thinking as a social worker as well, what can we do to try and tackle this more effectively? Absolutely. So I suppose my advice would be, if you're a social worker to a young person, find out what is around for them. Find out what it is that gets to them. So a young person, if they're angry, there's a reason why they're angry. We're not born angry. And usually you know, your anger is someone else's marketing campaign. You know, their anger can be fueled into something magnificent. So finding out what is around them, because there might be something that you aren't able to give them that they need. So we had a school yesterday call and say that a young person is in a predominantly white school. She's a black young girl. And someone has said something racist online and she's really challenged it. She's really kind of um, gone at them. And that school reached out to us. And the first thing I said was, thank you. Thank you for not just trying to to deal with this in a way that is either going to isolate this young person further or, you know, if if you haven't got anyone in that school that can address that and feel that, how are you going to truly help them? So this young person, we spoke and the first thing I did was contact someone, another organisation that I know called Kids of Colour and get her connected so that she's got a place to talk about race. She's got a place where she can really talk about it and channel it into something wonderful because she's not wrong for being angry about it. It's really bad. It's really awful. And she must feel really isolated. And if she's kicked off, it's because it's wrong. She shouldn't be punished. She should be helped. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main thing. I think if social workers could look at the access to different charities, the things we do. So we've had loads of young people that have had social workers, but they have gone on to further education because they've had us pushing them in that way. They've had an other adult that they can relate to or they can see themselves in that challenges in a different way. I think that's a massive part, that collective journey of working together with what is within a community is huge. The amount of things that are out there and charities that are running that are so grassroots and tiny, but the work they're doing is incredible. And we just don't know enough about them unless you take the time to really delve in, set up meetings. You know, your week might have 10 meetings that weekend, just talking to people. But if you do, you will benefit from it because as soon as the young person says something to you, you'll go, and we do it. I'll say, okay, I can help you with this bit, but that bit, I need you to go and speak to this person because they're going to be a great influence for you. So it's that collective work. And if you have those links and you make the time to make those links, they're there then and it'll only help you. And as a social worker, if you have someone else helping out, it's not all on you. You're working together. Um, and that's how a young person will really thrive. Mm. 
yeah I think that's so important and thinking about how you can all work as a care team to yeah. be able to really support the young person and 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 you know we're not experts and you know and everything so we can't do that we can't and so there's experts out there who are really yeah, knowledgeable they know what works they know how to engage on people in certain aspects and whether that's about race or um, LGBT or any whatever it is there are really good organizations out there so I think that's a really good piece of advice definitely and then thinking a bit more about advice for social workers who want to campaign for change, because there's a lot of social workers who I work with as well who have an idea. They see maybe a part in the system that they feel, you know, could be done in a different way, which will be better for younger children, young children or um, young people, sorry. What skills and knowledge do they require to have influence, do you think, and how can they bring about affecting effective and long-lasting change? So I think the main thing I'd say to social workers is that you do have power to change things, that your voice is so important because you have so much experience in the fact that for some of these families, you're the only person that's really interacting and seeing it for what it is. So whatever might be going on there, you're that in, you're that person. So to campaign against that, it's about getting a group together and deciding who does what and having conversations about what it is that they want to change who does what within that group if there's someone that's like I don't mind speaking great but there might be someone that's like actually I'd hate that can I just send the emails out about when we're meeting and things like that yeah every role is just as important but you've got to stick to it and push Mm -hmm. looking at who the power and influence is the person that you think will have the most power it might not be it the person that's higher up in the organization doesn't have the most power or influence they've got power because they've been put in that position it's positional power it's not necessarily influence the social workers will have the most influence on the families and the change so really kind of looking at that and how they acknowledge the power and influence um how they they assess it there's so much stuff online to to do these quick graphs and charts that just help you understand right okay well this is the person I need to speak to this person sounds important but they're not actually in this way and they're not going to help us with this mission but yeah it's about coming together and just pushing if you know in your heart of hearts it's right then you've got to push for it because no one at the end of their life regrets the things they did they regrets the things they didn't do they look back and they go I wish I'd have just pushed that further or I wish I'd tried that out or you know so that is my advice that it's a group effort you all have power within that it's not just the leader you can lead from the back your every role is just as important I think that's a really nice piece of advice I think a lot of social workers listening in will actually really appreciate hearing that because you're right I think they can you know it can be obviously very tiring and I think you can sometimes feel maybe that you're not creating that change but it's what we've spoken about in previous podcasts as well it's that you are, you know, you are creating change. You are a leader. Every interaction you have with a child and a family, you you're creating that change, and you have that power around how you then interact with them and how you can then support them in trying to make, I guess, life better for them in in, in whatever the way they that would look like for them. Yeah. Um, and I think every that's, social worker started the journey wanting to make a difference in young people's lives. No one started because it's just a job. Like you don't do that. <laughs> It's hard. <laughs> like every single one of them. And it's about sometimes 
along the way that can be kind of pushed down because you are just tied down by paperwork and everything else. And I totally get that. So absolutely try and remember that fire and contact organizations like us and let us kind of help you with with that campaigning we'd be more than happy to my email my phone is on if anyone needs a bit of advice about how to get something moving or going I'm more than happy to do that I've absolutely I think social workers are in a really tough position and I appreciate the work they do Oh, that'd be amazing. Thank you. Yeah, because I was thinking it sounds like you're doing so much great work. And I was thinking like <laughs> loads of people in my head came up thinking your service would be great for them. <laughs> so no, that that's great. Thank you. And like my final question, we, we have Georgie touched on this and I think it's a nice way to end though, thinking about what success looks like to you and what would Reclaim, sorry, have achieved. Um, and you know, you've spoken about you, you want to see young people in... Um, positions in parliament and things and that that or like a young person as a CEO of Reclaim that would be success to yourself is there anything else you can think of that would be like you would feel that that is success even on a smaller level yeah so I think it'd be I mean I would love it if we could have a hub in a lot of different working class communities that is an absolute dream that'd be fantastic and I I just I would love to see more collective work between charities and social workers and councils because I think we're all trying to achieve the same thing and we're some of us are doing the same work mm-hmm. and yet not a lot is changing in the world there's I mean there is a lot changing in the world but not very fast and I think if we actually were a little bit more collective mm-hmm. and we all got our heads together a bit more um, and I'm not talking about massive meetings and meetings about meetings I can't bear that or meetings (laughs) about meetings just get on do it um but I want to to make sure that we're all thinking about each other and going actually that'd be a great person for them to talk to or this would be a great way in for these young people when we think about with working class people that social capital and about who they know we are the providers of that for a lot of the young people we work with if you're a social worker they don't have access to as many professionals as you might think so be that person be that access open those doors for them say actually I spoke yesterday to someone from a charity that does this this and this I'm gonna put my foot in that door for you and you're gonna go in and smash it yeah and that collective work would be incredible absolutely incredible I'd love a a stronger link between organizations and charities and social work organizations around cities I think that would be phenomenal I think, yeah, that's really important point. And, you know, as you're talking, I love that your passion and your knowledge about everything as well. It's just incredible. And I think as you're talking, it's making me question. I'm thinking about the young people and families that I'm working with thinking, okay, what other charities can I link up with? And it's, yeah. it doesn't, when you sit down and you think, and I think the listeners, when they listen to the podcast as well, will probably be doing the same. I think when you have that time to really reflect and yeah. think about what else you could be doing differently to support the young people in a, a better or more effective way it's so important because there's always something that you can think about differently or there's something else out there that you can reach so it does and when you're alive as a social worker like you said it's so busy that you sometimes don't stop and think and reflect so listening to a podcast such as yourself it's going to be it's really helpful and it, it makes you think and question so thank I'm really you <laughs> happy that feels helpful 
Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting talking to you and, and hearing your passion and really challenging um, ways of thinking and thinking about different ideas of what we could do as a social worker or just not even just as a social because anyone working with children and young people anyone who's interacting with them in any capacity so thank you so much it's been thank you for having me it's been wonderful really really good to talk to you thank you